Tonight's reading is from the book of Matthew, and it's from verse 14 to 38. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue's leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, he said, Go away, the girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put aside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is God's word. Well, as ever, uh, do keep that page of the Bible open. We need God's help. Uh, so let's uh, bow our heads and pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of being able to gather here this Sunday evening, together with your word open, together uh, without fear of persecution. And together, Heavenly Father, knowing, uh, together knowing that your Holy Spirit is here with us uh, to be our teacher. And so we pray with the saints before us, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, on uh, New Year's Eve uh, 2020, the Sun newspaper uh, ran an article. They wanted to ask 20 people uh, their 2020 vision. They wanted to ask them what their vision was for their own life and for the life of the nation. 
first couple they asked was a couple called Dan and Marie. They had a 12-year-old daughter called Callie. Uh, she had a rare health condition, had been told that she had a few weeks to live. Praise God, she's made it into 2020, but it's meant that uh, Dan has had to quit his job and they've had to sell the house. Their, their desire would be that the government would better fund care of sick children. Christiana's a 21-year-old student. She simply says, I wish people would respect each other a little bit more. I wish people would be nicer to each other on social media. David, uh, an engineer, said, if I could change one thing, I would get the homeless off the streets. And Debbie, who owns her own business, said she just wants a better world for her grandchildren. As you hear those things, I don't know how, how they strike you, but it's actually easy to be quite pessimistic about them because on the one hand, we've heard hopes like that many, many times before and, and if we've been around for a while, we know how, it, how it's not easy to achieve those things. But it's also easy to be pessimistic because for many of us, our vision, frankly, for this year is a lot smaller. We're thinking survival. We're thinking, if, if I could just get through this year, I'll be happy. And so, if that's what other people are thinking, well, I'm not sure how far we're going to get. It's easy to be pessimistic. But then we come to this historical record of Jesus' life in Matthew chapter 9. And in this chapter, we, we get a preview, a sneak peek, if you like, of what faith in him promises us for the future. And if I wanted to summarize it, I might put it something like this. It's, it's a bit like a picture of a, of a wedding banquet in a transformed world where things get fixed and people flourish. A wedding banquet in a transformed world where, where things get fixed and people flourish. I wonder if you noticed, as uh, Vicky read for us uh, in verse 18 uh, and, and following, that, that a 12-year-old girl is healed, not just healed, raised from the dead, and she didn't have to pay a penny. I wonder if you've seen in chapter 9 before that a tax collector, before the bit that we read, but a tax collector who was disrespected in this community, someone who would have been trolled on Twitter, who probably would have trolled others, is transformed by Jesus. That people in verse 27 and following, who had been on the margins of things, even on the streets, blind beggars were healed, given a chance to have their voices heard in their communities. And all of this was connected to coming to know the bridegroom that we read about in verse 14. Jesus, the one who throws the biggest party in town, who forgives sins and who provides spiritual healing. It's all connected to him. It's a picture of the future, a banquet where people get fixed and flourish. But, but what's what Jesus was doing in this small Galilean town got to do with us? Well, in verse 35, the, the part of the reading I want us to focus in on, we, we see that this wasn't just something he did in one town, but he went around in doing it in others too. Verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness. In other words, what he did in his hometown or around there he did elsewhere. Here's the point. 
What he did in one place was a pattern for every place, for a transformed world, for all who trust in him. Now look, if that is true, and I believe it is because Jesus rose from the dead, if that is true, what an incredible hope there is for Dan and Marie and for Christiana and for David and for Debbie. What an incredible hope there is. Things may not be the way that they would like them to be in 2020, but the future is a forever wedding banquet. But, as far as I know, none of those people know anything about the hope that Jesus offers. And not just those people, but but many of the millions and millions and millions of people who live in this great city of London. Well, as commission, as Phil's been saying, this network of churches that we are part of, we would like to play our part in changing that. We don't want to pretend we're something we're not. We're a few thousand people, but with God's help, we'd like to play our part in inviting people to know the promises of the bridegroom, to know that there is a future transformed world where where people get fixed and flourish. And at the end of Matthew chapter 9, Jesus lays out, if you like, a strategy, an action plan for anyone who would want to get involved. I want us to, to focus on two things, seeing like Jesus and speaking to Jesus. Seeing like Jesus and speaking to Jesus. I see on your handouts there's a little gap where you can scribble things down. This is the point to get the pen out if you're that sort of person. Seeing like Jesus and speaking to Jesus. So let's take the first of those then. Seeing like Jesus. What I mean by that is seeing those who don't know Jesus the way that he does with compassion. Have a look down with me at verse 36. When he, that is Jesus, saw the crowds, he, are you with me? Verse 36, are you with me? When he saw the crowds, he had what? A little ripple. <laughs> so verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had what? Compassion. Compassion. In other words, he was filled with Tenderness. The, the original word is splanknismai. What on earth am I telling you that for? <laughs> if there are any doctors here, they'll know that the splanknic nerves are the nerves that connect your brain to all of the organs on your insides. You knew that, medics, didn't you? It's, it's, it's the nerves that connect your brain to all of, all of the bits on the inside. It's a way of saying that this affected Jesus right down to his very core. In other words, this was stomach churning, heart dropping, eye tear jerking concern. And why was he concerned? Well, it tells us in verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and what? Little ripple. <laughs> Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion because they were harassed and what? They were helpless. In other words, they were exposed to continual danger. That's what the word means. 
Perhaps you remember the tragic pictures of Alan Kurdi, a three-year-old Syrian boy washed up face down on a beach in Turkey a few years ago. Within hours, it became clear that his five-year-old brother had suffered the same fate, along with 10 others trying to escape the country that they were in. And by the end of the year, two and a half thousand others had died that year alone trying to cross the Mediterranean. And you see images like that, and you think to yourself, it should not be like this. And Jesus looks at the crowds, and he thinks, it shouldn't be like this. Because although the crowds are alive, he sees how their story ends, how they miss out on the wedding and end up spiritually washed up. Now, this is important. You see, Jesus doesn't just promise a world that is restored, but a world that is rescued, rescued from the judgment that we deserve from turning our backs on the God who made us. And from that judgment that is to come, we are helpless because there is an eternal judgment that hangs over us. Can I ask you, do you see like Jesus sees? And the reason many are in this situation is desperately sad. It's at the end of verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without, without what? Without a shepherd. Thank you. We're getting to the spirit of this. <laughs> like sheep without a shepherd. Now, now, that phrase, I don't know, we may not be very familiar with it. it back then, it was like saying Palpatine to a Star Wars fan. I mean, it, it, it opened up, it opened up memories of a dark period of Israel's history. A, a dark period of Israel's history where, where God sent a messenger, one of his prophets, a guy called Ezekiel, to say that the very people who should have been looking after his people, the, the shepherds, the teachers, were just looking out for themselves and not pointing people to God the sheep, not pointing the sheep to God. Here's the bottom line. The tragedy is, it's not just that our newly elected government can never fully deliver on the hopes of Dan and Marie. The tragedy is that it's not just that the self-help books that we read on the good life and decluttering and all that Brené Brown has to offer and all the rest of it, it's not just that they can never deliver on the kind of hopes that, that we talked about at the beginning. The tragedy is that even some of the religious leaders fail to point people to Jesus, the bridegroom of the banquet, raised from the dead, who rescues people from judgment so that they can be part of this future hope that he has in store. And it's as true today as it was back then. You know, the reason that I became a minister was because Several years ago now, I went to a carol service where there were 2,000 people packed into this chapel. And this guy spoke really eloquently for half an hour and made no mention of the fact that Jesus was born as a baby to grow up, to die on a cross, to rescue people from a judgment to come. And I realized I wasn't great, but I could do that. It still happens today. 
And so you have this awful situation, this awful situation that, that Jesus pictures in a different way in verse 37, that, that there is this harvest. There are these people that God is preparing to hear his word and, and to follow him, made ready for this banquet that he has in store. But the workers are few. They just aren't the people to tell them. Do you see like Jesus sees? Now, can I speak to you for a moment if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus? Jesus isn't condemning you as he says these things. What we're seeing here is Jesus' immense care for people. See, Jesus isn't walking around saying, I'm fine, I've got my religious future sorted. I couldn't care less about the rest of you. He's not saying that. He's saying, I cannot help but care about the need of the people around me who haven't heard, don't know about the promises that I have to offer. Now, you may not agree with his assessment, but we can't say he doesn't care. It tears him up on the inside. He wants to provide help. Do you see like Jesus sees, stomach churning, heart dropping, tear jerking, concern for a city of spiritually lifeless children, sheep without a shepherd. Now if like me you find yourself distracted, distracted by the busyness of life from seeing like Jesus sees, well, then perhaps we can use some of those distractions as a tool to help us remember. And what I mean by that is as we look down at verse 36, notice when he has this compassion. Verse 36, it's when he saw the crowds that he had compassion. So question, do you ever find yourself in a crowd? Yeah, you like, it's a silly question, isn't it? We live in London. Of course we do. So here's the thing, next time you find yourself in a crowd on the tube or the bus, remember, sheep without a shepherd. You log onto Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever your social media penchant is. Think of the crowd of friends that you have online. How many of them are sheep without a shepherd? You find yourself in the checkout queue at your local supermarket. You find yourself bustling in the January sales, surrounded by what? Sheep without, well, shepherd, thank you. And when you find yourself in that crowd, here's my plea to you. When you find yourself in that crowd, will you pray? Will you, will you pray? Jesus, don't let me forget. Help me to keep seeing like you see. Deep care for sheep without a shepherd. Now, the reason this is so important is that when we see like Jesus, well, then we'll begin to speak to Jesus. You see, when we see like Jesus, well, then we'll begin to speak to Jesus. Literally, that word ask, like, beg Jesus. I like to think of it as having a 999 mentality. You see, when you call 999, two things have happened. Number one, you've seen a situation that is very serious. 
And number two, you realize that you cannot deal with it on your own. You need to call out the big guns. That's what happens when you call 999. And you see, when we see like Jesus, when we see a city of millions of spiritually lifeless sheep, with very few shepherds to point them to safety, we realize this is serious and we cannot deal with it on our own. And so Jesus encourages us, second point, to speak to him, to speak to Jesus. Look down at verse 37 again. Then he said to his disciples, Jesus said, that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It's important you're with me at this point. Verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So go and tell as many people as you can about Jesus. Is that what it says? It doesn't say that, does it? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Next word. Ask. Ask Jesus to send people. Now, he he does say go and tell as many people as you can, Matthew 28. He does come to that. But before he gets to that, ask. You see, he owns the harvest. He is the Lord. He's already prepared the hearts of people to get to know him. But, but you see, what we see here is his normal strategy for people to become Christians is that they, people are sent out in response, to his, in response to prayer. The normal strategy he uses is for people to be sent out in response to our prayers. I've got a friend who's an A&E consultant. She works in one of those helicopter emergency response kind of things. You know, you see them across London sometimes. And so she sits there in the, in the room and she gets the call on the red phone and then she flies out to exactly the point where she's needed to give life-saving treatment. And Jesus says, call me. Call the hotline so that I can send out, literally fling out workers to exactly where they are needed to give life-saving treatment. You see, he has designed the world in such a way that prayer unlocks the power of heaven and launches workers into the harvest field. Amen? Isn't that good news? One of the particular ways that that we as commissioned seek to be part of this picture is by raising up and sending out church planting teams, a pastor, someone who can lead a church, and and teams of people who can help to, to launch a congregation with them. And I stand here today as someone who CCM, this church, has partnered with to do that. As I shared before, I was a member here at Christ Church Mayfair, like many of you. I moved to Battersea back in 2010. And uh, a few months after we started that um, church, we ran our first sort of social event. And I remember a woman from a Middle East background. uh, She walked in, never seen her before. And she said, I want to become a Christian. Can you help me? The Lord had already prepared the ground (laughs) and was waiting for, for a worker to go into the harvest field. I remember a Jamaican man called Wellington. His, uh, his uncle was sick at um, Chelsea and Westminster. He used to get the bus from where he lived uh, to us, and he passed the, the bridge on his way there. He was desperate for the loo, 
So he got off the bus, and he saw someone in the window, and he knocked on the door uh, so he could use the loo. He stayed for a cup of tea. He became a Christian last year. A man called Mike, if you were at Revive, you may remember his story, someone who grew up on the local council estate who came along to see what um, we were teaching his children, (laughs) and he found a new spiritual family. A guy called Zim, who was a fresh-faced graduate from Imperial College, like maybe many of you, (laughs) and uh, I was standing up here saying we're launching this church. He said, I'll have a go, and he, he came along, and he's been with us for a while, and two years ago, he was sent out to start a new church in Catford, and many people there have since come to faith. Do you see, the Lord Jesus Christ has already prepared the harvest, and he's waiting for workers to be prepared by prayer to find the people that he is uh, preparing for us. And from the time that we started in Battersea, we've been so aware of the prayers of so many from this church, from all over Commission, indeed from London City Mission, who we partner with to make things happen. Thank you so much for your support, but thank you mostly for your prayers. And our network would love that story to be repeated many times over, all over London. Whether it's in the equivalent of the towns that Jesus went to, presumably the big and important places, and and these villages that he went to, maybe the smaller, humbler places, that churches would spring up all over the place that share the love of Jesus with those in the harvest field where they've been put. So my question to you is, will you have a 999 mentality? Will you see like Jesus and will you speak and ask Jesus? Let me suggest two practical things that this might mean for you. Firstly, January the 8th. Have I got the date right? The monthly prayer meeting? Brilliant. I won't ask how many people are normally there, but um, monthly prayer meeting. (laughs) A chance to pray for mission partners further afield, for co-mission partners, for our own evangelism as a church. Could you make an extra special effort to be there on January the 8th? Wouldn't it be amazing if the prayer meeting was just as packed, more packed than this room is right now, wouldn't it be great if there was standing room only at that prayer meeting? I see some smiles. I hope that's because you're intending to be there. Wouldn't it be great if it was standing room only? Come to the prayer meeting. Second thing, why not fast and pray? Maybe tomorrow, maybe you spend a bit of time uh, going to get a sandwich at lunchtime, and you say, look, I'm, I'm going to not get my sandwich I'm going to spend that time that I would be getting annoyed in the queue to walk around the block and pray, praying that the Lord would raise up workers for the harvest field. This month, well, I'm committing to you, and I'm telling you, there's, there's a lot of people here, so some of you might even ask me about this, but I'm committing with my family at breakfast time to pray for workers for the harvest field through the month of January. I hope I'll keep doing that beyond, but I'm particularly praying that that would be a a resolution for us for this month. What might you do? But friends, I need to warn you that that what I'm asking you to do, it's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing because people who pray prayers like this to see Jesus and to speak 
to Jesus are never left the same. In fact, in chapter 10 and verse 1, the disciples find themselves as answers to their own prayers. They're sent out. It's my point. Who knows what relationships God is building in your life? What opportunities he's creating where you are? What boldness he is planning to give you so that students here risk their reputations at uni, that those working outside the home risk their reputations at work, that those on estates and all over London risk their reputations in their community, that all of us with friends and family take risks to invite people to this wedding banquet that Jesus holds out for all who would trust in him. A couple of years ago, uh, at our week of prayer that we hold uh, at the beginning of the year, every year, uh, a young woman called uh, Rachel walked, walked in. And she came to every prayer meeting that we put on that week. And by the end of the week, she decided to leave her job and start working for the church. <laughs> She's now training for whatever God might have in store for her next. She got more than she bargained for that week, and she's loving every minute of it. Now look, the journey will look different for each of us. There is, I'm not saying that everyone gives up their jobs and becomes a church worker. There's plenty to be done among our families, among our friends, among our colleagues, among the students where we find ourselves. Yet I would pray, I would ask that you would pray specifically that Christ would raise up church planters from among our churches with a stomach-churning, heart-dropping, tear-jerking concern for a, a city of spiritually lifeless children, sheep without a shepherd, that many would go out to all the towns and villages of our great city, London, to make him known. Let's bow our heads and uh, pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you so much that the job of preparing people is yours and not ours. That you are the Lord of the harvest and that you have been so clear in asking us to pray that you would send people out. Thank you for sending so many out, not only through our network, but all throughout London and the world to make Jesus known. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us new resolve to keep praying that you would do the same in our generation, in our neighborhood, in our street, town, college, community that many more might come to know the wonderful promises of the Lord Jesus Christ and call him their Lord and Saviour. We pray it in his name. Amen.